And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Today we're going to be talking about, well, some marketing, but not digital marketing. We're going to be talking about marketing in the real world. Um, with Sam's company, Sam Malakarjanon, with one screen. And we are very excited for them to be one of the top startups in Boston. We have a whole series about the top startup st- top startups in Boston. Um, if you check the show notes, there's a link to all of them if you want to check out all the companies. And before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Equip Bids Auctions, your Midwest online auction marketplace to buy and sell stuff. EquipBid provides dedicated support to affiliates in Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Iowa. Join the team and sell everything from heavy machinery to home goods, vehicles and boats to restaurant and kitchen equipment and tractors to patio furniture. Go to equip-bid.me backslash, not backsplash. (laughs) I don't know why I never thought of it before. Backslash startup for details um, or just click um, the link in the show notes. Well, Sam, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Um, c- congrats uh, to being one of the top startups. And from looking at your your background on LinkedIn, sound looks like you've worked at a few startups before. Yeah, I've spent most of my career in startups, which is you know questionable decision making, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, happy to hear you all doing an episode on Boston. I think Boston is a dramatically underrated startup city, um, and uh, happy to see you know Boston startups getting recognition. Absolutely. Well, um, I guess to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your your background, your startup background, your entrepreneurial journey? Kind of got yeah, you here so today. I um, I actually grew up in Florida uh, near Kennedy Space Center. Um, so moonshot was not a metaphor when I was growing up. Uh, but then I moved to Boston actually to work for a company called HubSpot. Um, not having a college degree or any experience, I was kind of not didn't have high hopes for it. So I built a website called hiremehubspot.com and ran ads targeting people who work there to register for the free webinar on why you should hire me. <laughs> nice. Uh, this, this is before account-based marketing was like a jargon term, but it was basically what I was doing. Um, it was a blast. I mean, I joined, we were small, nobody knew about us. Um, now, you know, obviously they, they've been very, very successful. They're an anchor company in Boston. Uh, I, got to run our expansion into Latin America on the marketing team. Uh, and then was the head of growth at HubSpot labs, um, taught at Harvard university for a while, which was a lot of fun and gave me a lot of respect for teachers. There's a difference between being good at something and being able to teach it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, after that went to, um, a company called flock. So we decided to fight Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and Slack at the same time. That ended about as well as you could think. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Started this company by accident, um, which I know sounds weird, but it, it was originally a hackathon from some HubSpot alumni to help uh, business owners uh, make money in different ways during the COVID lockdowns. Uh, you know, we're like, what if there was a Google Display Network for the real world? So we built the prototype, we handed out the giant check 
Like you actually can buy those, by the way. You can buy giant checks and like hand them out. I've always want one. <laughs> I've always wanted one of those giant checks. Can I get those on yeah. Amazon? Uh, you can probably get them on Amazon. I actually think I just Googled like printgiantchecks.com or something like that. I assumed there would be a website uh, <laughs> uh, that did that. Um, and then, yeah, my my now co-founder was working at uh, Simon Property Group and out of home or offline advertising is not really anything I'd ever done. I bought billboards twice as a marketer and once was just to piss off a competitor. Um, and so I, knew, I didn't really understand the space. Uh, and as we dug into it, it turns out it's, it's insane. Uh, it's the only traditional ad medium still growing. It's run on spreadsheets and post-it notes. Um, we actually did a reverse stealth mode. We called all the people who would nominally be competitors, told them what we were planning to do. Um, so yeah, we went from a hackathon to help, you know, my barber in Boston, Larry, if you're listening, uh, make money off of only being able to fill half his chairs to saying what the world needs is, uh, is an integrated marketplace for media that's not on the internet. So we're talking about one screen, your company today. And if I understand this correctly, are you guys primarily helping people advertise on digital billboards that, I mean, we don't, we don't see a lot of digital billboards, at least where I live. There's some, there's not, there's not a lot, but you guys are focused on specifically those or are there other types of mediums that you're doing display ads on? We do everything. Uh, digital is about 3% of the inventory and easy, but arguably less interesting. Uh, okay. We've had people wrap cars. Uh, we've had, you know, led trucks. Uh, we've, had people hold projectors and stand outside of conferences. Like there's a lot more than just, uh, okay. Uh, so it's not digital, just digital billboard, billboards. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not, not just even, digital, not just digital, not even just billboards out of home is it's fun. It's the most fun I've had doing marketing since I invented social media. Well, and, I, and, and you, so you mentioned a few different types and, and, you know, even if you go to like Las Vegas and stand on the strip, you see like cars drive by with signs on them and stuff like that. Right. Like, there's a lot of different kinds of this type of advertising, but so you're saying before as a potential uh, business that wants to advertise on those mediums, it was hard to know how to advertise, how to find opportunities. And your, your goal is to be that marketplace to kind of get, you know, get the advertisers together with the, um, the, the, the people who own places, inventory, the, the inventory yeah. of it. Yeah. So th that was something else that was surprising to me because again, like, coming from a primarily internet marketing background, uh, nerds like me have spent 20 years optimizing the internet and ruined it for everybody. Uh, it's quite, quite hard to break into marketing just using digital channels now. Um, and it's not like Clear Channel, Outfront, and Lamar own all the inventory, the names you probably know. Right, the vast majority of the inventory is owned by like, you know, little family near where I live. Her, her name's Deborah. she's lovely. Her and her family own 15 billboards. Uh, so the first thing we did was just like create a directory so you can find who owns what and where as shockingly didn't already exist. That didn't uh, exist. Then, no, it didn't. It was, it was, we, we actually had to do like freedom of information requests with state permit websites and things like that to try and just assemble a database, the most comprehensive, the only comprehensive database of just who owns what and where much less so all the did, data and analytics and stuff. So how did they do this before? If I'm McDonald's in Boston and I want to, do 20 billboards across Boston, did they just call like Lamar and, and just dealt with them? And if, if Lamar didn't have it, that was just kind of the end of the end of the process. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, if, if you're a big enough company, you'll work with an agency, but even those agencies are still going to work with a small number of companies. 
right? F uh, like Florida, where I live um, uh, now, um, because it's cold in Boston, uh, we've got like 16,000 billboards owned by 800 different companies. Like you're not going to call 40 different companies to put together your campaign, um, which is part of the software automation that we have to build is like, how do we build that integrated ecosystem so that like peanut butter and jelly, some things are better when sold, sold together. Um, and, uh, that people have been missing out. Like McDonald's just wouldn't have known that, uh, you know, certain inventory exists as an option. See, I, I thought I heard this one day and, and I think it would be a interesting random fact. Um, I was told once that Missouri had more billboards per mile of, of highway than any, any other state. I was just curious, any, any idea of the random fact of, uh, where the most billboards are in the country? Uh, I, I could look that up in the database. I have not looked up that particular stat. I've got a lot of fun stats, like the billboard that you can use to reach Elon Musk or the billboard people drive past to go to a liquor store and then go to work. But I, I don't have where there's the most billboards per mile. That's new. I think it's Missouri. And I think it's partly because Missouri has more, um, more highway miles than any other state. For whatever reason, there's just a shit ton of highways in Missouri because we're in the middle Delightful. of nowhere. So there's, so there's just a lot of highways here, but um, and there's it's a lot a of billboards. State. I, I, I don't know why everybody's in such a hurry to get somewhere. Uh, I love, I love <laughs> They're Missouri. driving through. <laughs> They're driving through. So, um, so I think, I think that's interesting that there's, there's never been a, a good inventory model for the billboards. And, and I guess if you own a billboard, um, is it just like a random, random place along the side of the street and they decide to put up a billboard and then they got to go through the hassle of trying to get somebody who wants to advertise on it and they end up contracting out through somebody like Lamar. Is that what they usually do? Or how does that, how does that work? No, most sales have been local. Um, yeah. it's actually pretty akin to, you know, Airbnb almost, right? Like there was a lot of inventory that was just not accessible. Um, and you know, you could build a, a hotel, but without Expedia or Google travel right. and stuff like that, people had to drive past it or be local to know it was there. So those, um, so those billboard owners aren't monetizing that asset very well. Right. So by listing their asset on your platform, all of a sudden they've got a, a distribution channel that they really lacked before. Yeah. So about half of the out of home inventory goes unsold uh, at any given point in time. And the inventory that is sold probably sells for about half of what it should uh, on a CPM basis. The marketers listening to this would be like shocked at how cheap it is compared to display or CTV or some of the things they're used to thinking of. So what is, so what does it cost to rent a billboard for a month? Usually. I mean, the answer to that is obviously it, it depends. There are some places where it's, you know, 250 to 300 or $400 to get a billboard for a month. Um, maybe some of those ones in Missouri you're talking about, uh, or if you want to be in Times Square, that's, you know, we can do that, but that's really expensive. We try to encourage people not to do that. Um, it's more about the audience, right? Like what audience do you want to reach? And then what's the most cost-effective way to reach them? Usually the answer is not San Francisco, Los Angeles and New York where everybody wants to run, but, uh, you know, people live elsewhere. So you mentioned that advertising on billboards is cheaper than, than people would think, you know, compared to digital marketing. So what does it cost, you know, kind of typically to, to advertise for a month on a billboard? And I'm sure it's totally different if it's Times Square versus rural Missouri somewhere, but. Yeah, it totally depends. Again, it's it's a lot like planning a vacation. You know, how big do you want it to be? Uh, where do you want it to be? Um, New York, San Francisco, 
great. There's lots of people there. Turns out people do live other places. Uh, I spent a fair bit of my time convincing people not to try and run their first ever out of home campaign in America's most expensive and America's most distracting city. Um, but I mean, you, like you mentioned, you know, some of those billboards in Missouri might cost 250 to 300 or $400 a month, uh, all the way up to, you know, I think the NASDAQ sign or something like that's probably like 20 grand for, for 30 minutes. So, uh, it depends. It depends. Yeah. Imagine any idea what it costs for a giant screen in like times square. Uh, I could look it up. I, it's, it's usually depending on when, when you're trying to do it and things like that, you can, it'll be in the 20 to $30,000 range just to like be on there and take a selfie with it. Out of home is cool, by the way. It's the only ad medium where like, it's also content, uh, you know, like T-Mobile's commercials are of their own billboards. Nobody does commercials with their Facebook ads in them. Um, but to do an effective campaign, that's not just, uh, for flash in New York city would be a lot more expensive than to do it. For example, in, in Dallas or Miami, yeah. um, or, or Chicago. So, uh, you can definitely do it. I'm not saying don't do out, out of home advertising in New York city. If, if that's where the audience is right for you, but, uh, don't just do it there because you're used to seeing it there. So do you guys, as, as part of this database that you've built and, and knowing the inventory of all this, how do you guys measure, like you talk about like CPM, the, 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 how, how do you track like the number of potential eyeballs that would see this, this particular billboard? Like, how do you get a sense for that? How do you measure that? Yeah. I don't know how nerdy the audience is and also how old the audience is, but if you remember Google's original page rank algorithm, uh, where they try to rank websites based on inbound links. Uh, we do the same thing with something we call place rank, uh, where if you want to reach people who work at hospitals in Pittsburgh, which was real campaign we did, which billboards do people who work at hospitals in Pittsburgh tend to drive past? Um, if you want to reach people who work at HubSpot, if you're a B2B uh, ABM marketer, uh, don't buy an ad on I-95 because nobody who lives in Boston is actually taking that road to get to work. Um, they, take, they take McGrath Highway. Uh, so it's a combination of, uh, you know, data that's usually used by commercial real estate planning and governments to understand like groups of people and how they move about a city. Uh, that same data just applied to, you know, if you want to reach people who drink bourbon and are C-suite executives at tech startups, uh, you know, like all that data exists. And then just how can you be present in their journey is what the uh, place rank algorithm tells you. How do you, how do you decide where to run? to be part of a literal buyer's journey, not a metaphorical one. So, and is that part of the, the AI that you guys have built or your own algorithm or, or what, what would you call that? I mean, that definitely sounds like that's gotta be secret sauce that you guys have invented. That, that is the AI in one screen.ai. Uh, and also for the startups listening, don't launch a startup. If you can't find the .com, just make up a nonsense word. Otherwise you have to say dot, dot, whatever the TLD is every time or people go to the .com. Um, yeah, so that's that's the AI that we have, right? We ingest data from all of these different sources, and you know, Facebook makes it look so easy, but their AI to help you get on the right screen at the right time is pretty complicated. AI in the real world is much, much more complicated. Is there a tree in front of it? If it's raining, your Facebook ads don't stop working. Uh, your billboard campaign might be impacted. Uh, or again, the joke I made earlier, reaching people at the right time. We, there is one a liquor store in Boston, there's 3% of people who go there and then go to work. I'm super interested to find out who they are. Uh, <laughs> but in general, for that advertiser, it's like, okay, don't like retry, don't plan your campaign around reaching people when they're on their way to work. Um, 
So it's, it's, it's a really, my, my co-founder Greg doesn't think this should be allowed as a sentence. It's a really fun math problem, actually. It is very cool to be able to play with the data and, and look for weird, you know, weird things, that, antidotes, that, antidotes that come out of that. So it, that would be fun to do, I imagine. Yeah, that's the Elon Musk build, what I always talk about, because I, I grew up near Kennedy Space Center. So like, there's kind of only one road in and unless you work for the Air Force and he doesn't. Uh, and so like, you're not going to get him on Facebook ads, but there is a billboard you could drive fast uh, that he has to drive fast to go in there. And I'm like, that's just that's for cool. SpaceX. Yeah, yeah. Like some like like SpaceX employees would see they'd have to see. Yeah. Or NASA or Boeing. Or whatever. Right now, I think last time I looked, there's a local home medical equipment company on it. It's like electric wheelchairs, very on brand for my home state of Florida. Uh, but uh, there's probably somebody who wants to advertise to like NASA and Boeing and SpaceX or heck, I just want to buy or, it and say hi to Elon or something. Please. Give me I, a I check, feel like check mark. yeah, I was going to say, I feel like there's a great joke there for $8 and a blue check mark some, somewhere. <laughs> That's good. That's good. We should do that. Now pay me my $8 blue check mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'll donate eight. Uh, I'll, I'll plant eight dollars worth of trees every time he drives past it. Yeah. There you go. Um, so tell me a little more about where you guys are in your in your your journey um, as a startup. I mean, have you guys in really in growth phase, or are you still kind of early stage figuring all this out, or kind of where are you guys at in your journey? So we uh, we're seed stage. Um, we've raised just shy of, uh, of, of $10 million, um, mostly from, from Boston VCs, uh, who, you know, we've got, a, we've got a really great VC community in, in Boston. Now, um, the, the team is just over 50 people. So that it's grown quite, quite quickly. Uh, the, the interesting challenge for us is when you're going into an industry where there's not that much competition, like online, there's, 10,000 MarTech startups, right? There's like 60 offline MarTech startups uh, on the LumaScape. Uh, and we thought we were going to come into this and start fighting Facebook with machine learning. And we can, and we will, and we do, but you can't sell cars in the country without roads, right? Even if it's a self-driving yeah. AI car. So like, that's where we realized we had to actually take a step back and like build a directory of who owns what and where, um, build a tool that allows you to like get availability and pricing easily. Um, you know, so that's been the big learning for us was our backgrounds are primarily on the internet. We're used to integrated ecosystems with a hundred other companies doing basically the same thing you do for any startup you're doing, uh, to come into an industry where there's not a lot of tech, not a lot of startups, but it's still growing anyways. Right. Um, and then to, you know, I basically got Tesla engineers laying asphalt right now, trying to do basic things like build a database of billboard sizes and dimensions so that you can print more easily and more quickly. Well, you know, it's always good to be first to market, but in some sense, it's not necessarily great to be first to market or creating a new market because people also don't necessarily buy it or don't know to buy it or they don't know the market exists, right? It's, um, I mean, luckily, lucky for you, billboards aren't a new thing, so people are familiar with them. But if people aren't used to advertising with them or they're not used to being able to do this, it's like you have to go re-educate the market. Like that's the problem is you have to educate the market that you exist because people aren't used to buying you, whatever the thing is, right? Not necessarily you guys, but when you're first to market like that, nobody, it's not something that people buy. So it's like you have to create the market, which is its own challenge. Yeah. For, for everybody who aspires to be a category creator, I assure you it's not nearly as much fun as it sounds. No, uh, 
it, it's almost harder actually because people know when we were doing inbound marketing uh, at HubSpot, uh, which is where I was at back in the day, like I had to explain to CEOs what a search engine was before I could sell them SEO software. And right. like, Twitter was something your, your nephew did, yeah. not, not like serious businesses. Um, the challenge with that at home is people actually already think they know what it means. They think they know where it fits in the acquisition strategy, the marketing strategy. Um, one, it can be anywhere in the, in the, in the funnel. You can drive website traffic and app downloads, anything else as well as brand awareness. Uh, and two, I never occurred to me to wrap an ice cream truck in branding and park it in the parking lot of the company I'm trying to sell to. Right. Like I've. I'm actually kind of mad I didn't know about out of home uh, earlier in my career because going after Salesforce users at the Dreamforce conference is a lot easier <laughs> when you could just drive a fleet, wrap a fleet of cars and drive it around the event than uh, when you're trying to compete in all digital channels. Do you guys do anything that's related to like direct mail kind of stuff, like campaigns that way too? You know what's funny? Uh, our product manager, David, literally asked me this question on our one on one 90 minutes ago. Okay. Uh, about why don't we uh, expand? Because there's also like sports inventory events. There's so much overlap in that. Um, direct print and, and some of those other things, those are kind of dying mediums. I think what I like about out of home is it's, it's the only traditional ad medium still growing. So, uh, but the, the other kind of thing that I've learned this year is only try to do one really hard thing at a time. Yeah. Uh, we tried to add in sports and events uh, because it's a lot of the same advertisers. You know, BetMGM uh, uses our platform and they also do sports advertising. They should be able to do it all in one place, not have to make two phone calls. Uh, and they have the same problems, right? Major League Baseball, you know, is using like a hack together solution, you know, for their for their ad sales reps. And you got to call all the different stadiums if you want to buy. You know, it's, it's, it's a significant challenge. But I think my, my answer to that is I have an aspiration to make it so that whatever marketers want to buy, whatever's appropriate to reach their audience in whatever context on whatever screen, they can do it on one screen. That's the, that's the joke. There you um, go. But uh, I think the lesson I have learned uh, so far this year is let's first, you know, focus on executing in, in the $40 billion global out of home market. And then we can tackle the $80 billion sports market, the events market, direct mail, everything else like that. So. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up a creator and don't do everything at once. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you bring up a good point about stadiums and forget like NFL and MLB stadiums for a second, but there are thousands of other stadiums from like my kids where my kids play soccer every Saturday. Right. And they have billboards and little ads and stuff around the, the soccer fields and stuff. Right. Like potentially, though, that's the kind of inventory that'd be great in there. And you're like, how do I reach families with young children? Like, boom, this should be the perfect place to advertise right so that makes a lot of sense to me yeah i, I mean going back to the the nasa metaphor again just because th that's where i am right now there's the, the local high school here they've got those but it's the yeah. barber shop and the and the the you know dry cleaner it's not united launch alliance trying to reach nasa decision makers right. even though they're there for their kids game there's cooler stuff too there's a company called league side that actually lets you sponsor youth sports teams uh at there scale. you go yep there you right? go. Uh, where like, and I think that's, that's super cool. And it's one of the reasons I'm excited about doing this is like the kind of the premise was like, how would it, how would it change the world if the most powerful marketing medium on earth wasn't Google or Facebook, but it was like physical places. It was local spaces or small businesses. Like my local high school should be making 
thousands of dollars a month more in additional ad revenue yeah. uh, than they than they are. And that's like something you can feel good about, right? Yeah. Every high school football stadium. Yeah. Every high school football stadium and gym there is could have ads in it. Yep. Yeah. Well, as a, as a reminder, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Equip Bid Auctions, an online marketplace dedicated to growing small auction businesses. They're solving problems and providing a fun re-commerce or liquidation shopping experience to valued bidders. Go check out their incredible offerings and sign up at equip-bid.me backslash startup. So one of the things you, you talked about going early on into this space is like, the data that you needed uh, wasn't there. And one of your challenges was figuring out how to integrate all this together. So I'm going to guess you had to go to companies like Lamar and, and these guys and try and integrate with them. And, you know, first calling them up and saying, hey, give me all of your data probably didn't go very well, did it? Uh, no, it didn't because they don't actually, most of those companies don't actually have that data. Um, by the way, side note, re-commerce, brilliant type like one-liner, your sponsor. Uh, just as a marketer, I, I respect that that term they've come up with, re-commerce. Um, but to answer your question, uh, you know, the, again, like being humble coming into an industry, I a lot of the reason tech startups that have come into this industry have failed is they've had a mentality of let's do things the way we did on the internet. Um, there is a role at a lot of companies called the chartist, and that's the person who owns the whiteboard that has the availability and pricing of all the the billboards in that particular region. Uh, and like, it's not like there was a database that we could integrate with. So it's one of the things we did was we built a free, uh, you know, SaaS platform for people to manage their inventory availability and pricing, not using spreadsheets and post-it notes, which, you know, most companies are doing. So that's the whole, you know, you cancel cars in the country without roads thing. Um, that was again, very interesting challenge for us is understanding we were probably a year in actually. And it was, the woman who was the president of the industry association who finally told me that Chartist was a job because I was getting frustrated about why we couldn't get availability and pricing. And she's like, they don't know. It's like their own sales reps got to go so, back to the office to do it. So you guys had to build a tool for them that you can basically give to them for free so that then you can build the marketplace. Like you can't build the marketplace of what's available unless you have the data of what's available, right? Like it's a, it's a huge challenge there. Yeah, it's open table is a great metaphor, right? Like they had reservation management software for restaurants. And then once they had enough people using it, they could create a consumer facing marketplace. Right. Uh, very much the same in our case, except unlike them, we may not know your availability and pricing, but we know everybody who owns everything everywhere because of the, the permitting uh, issue and also scraping data from other sources like Google Maps. Um, but uh, yeah, to actually get the availability and pricing, that's why we made that free software. So you can stop having to use a whiteboard. You can use a free tool to run your business better, but it also makes it easier for people to buy from you. So, I'm going to sure that I'm going to guess that's probably a a trick you learned from HubSpot. Maybe you created HubSpot. Um, was the giving away of free tools, and um, it's a great traction channel and a great go to market strategy. And and actually, at my last company, um, Stackify, it was a huge um, part of our go to market strategy. We built a free tool, and I'll, I'll be. I'll be the first to say that, you know, one of the ways that we got that idea was actually from HubSpot because, you know, that's one of the things they talked about from inbound marketing strategies was, you know, giving away free tools and lead generation, all that kind of stuff. And it worked really good, really, really good for my last company was building a free tool um, to, to help, you know, get that network effect. 
I, I did learn that at HubSpot. Uh, that was my last major initiative before leaving actually was we, how do we shift to freemium, uh, have, you know, uh, these, these free tools that people can use that have paid upgrade tier. If freemium had been a thing in 2006, the founders at HubSpot will tell you they definitely would have started out as freemium, but you know, it wasn't really how SaaS companies worked back then. Um, it's a great way to go, right? Because like you have a free tool, you get to product market fit. Then once people are like using your tool consistently, you start adding on more features. Engineering is so much easier now than it was 15 years ago. It's still hard, but like, you know, you can now have a Trello clone with five lines of code um, that you can, you know, build these free tools without having to spend a ton of money and then start stacking on these kind of premium features to, to create the monetization flywheel. So yeah, it's, um, I, I wish it had existed in the earlier days of HubSpot, but for people who are doing it now, it's a great way to get initial traction, to build top of the funnel, to create value, find out what people are actually going to use. Uh, and then that'll give you the direction that you want to go in terms of building your premium features and your monetization. Yeah. And, and, and it can be a different tool. That's also just a free tool. That's not necessarily directly, you know, a free version of your core product, right? It could be a, it could be a separate tool. Um, but so, go, so going back to your, your guys's business and, and the integrations you have to do. So, you know, you know, one of the challenges you have, you know, trying to integrate with Lamar and all these people, right. Is they, they probably also see you as a competitor, right? So how do you get past the perception of, of some of the other industry players seeing you as a competitor where you're really trying to aggregate it all together? You're actually trying to help them. You're trying to integrate things together, but, but does that in some way scare them of, of exposing that, you know? So the supply side doesn't see us as a competitor. There is a fear in the industry that we're going to replace sales reps. It's a very common thing that I hear. Uh, I keep telling them we're several Nobel prizes away from AI replacing sales reps in one at all, but two, especially in out of home where local knowledge and context matters. Um, the, it's almost like, again, the early days of HubSpot, the people who see us more as competitors are people where their business models are based off of things that are kind of easy to automate. Like the, a lot of, some of the buying agencies and things like that, um, you know, they see us as a threat because it's their, their business model to, you know, call 40 companies and buy billboards for you. Uh, just like at, at HubSpot agencies hated us in the early days because they're like, they used to charge for building websites and we built a self-serve content management right. system. You'd go build a website on your own. Uh, and you know, we had to educate those agencies on you on finding a new way, like be creative, be strategic, like use retainers instead of working on project work. And now it's like 40% of HubSpot's revenue or something like that. It's the same in our, in, in this industry where there's people who's, we're going to make your lives better and easier because you're not going to have to do stupid manual tasks, copying and pasting between spreadsheets. And that may seem scary in the short term, but long term, it's going to let you build a bigger business that you actually enjoy doing more creative things. I would imagine that it, it for sure is going to automate a lot of things. And I, and as you said, I, I could see it affecting, you know, salespeople, especially those charting people and or stuff that have to manually do a whole bunch of tracking of all that stuff, right? If you can kind of help the industry automate the availability of stuff and the scheduling of it. I mean, for sure that eliminates some, some work that some people are doing manually today. So, um, it'll make the lives better though. Like I, they'll remain nameless, but a large national agency, their, their CEO was telling me that they sometimes deliver what they know are subpar plans to brands because they spend so much time 
doing things like getting Lamar's uh, spreadsheet back and then combining it with clear channels and then combining it with, you know, everybody else's into a spreadsheet. They don't have enough time to do the planning, the strategy, the analytics. So yes, it will replace some of the work people do, but I think it'll do it in such a way that the, when they look back, people aren't going to be on it. N nobody misses their job as a switchboard operator. No. Well, and, 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 and this is a thing that happens across all types of jobs and all types of industries, right? It's like people don't pump gas anymore either. We pump our own gas. Like there, but that's not necessarily the greatest job in the world either, right? There's a lot of jobs like that that have slowly faded away. Yeah. And you get to do fun, more fun stuff, right? Like yeah, that's kind absolutely. of been the, the story of human history for the last couple hundred years. We went from doing boring, manual, repetitive tasks to being able to do things that, that actually use these big brains we evolved for no reason, apparently. Um, and it's, it's more satisfying uh, and fulfilling. So yeah, it's, it's something I can feel good about, but I, I also do understand why it's scary because I, before the, the WYSIWYG CMS came out, I used to do that. Like I would charge people money to make websites back in the early 2000s. Um, and to have that go away and like what you think is your business model, your competitive advantage is now gone, uh, because they invented WordPress or whatever. Uh, it's, that's scary. It's hard change. So it, do you guys do anything to help with uh, TV ads? Because that seems like a logical component to this too. I'm super interested in connected TV and, and even like retargeting on social media and like this kind of integrated experience of you see a billboard, you see a local TV commercial, you, you maybe then you see it on Facebook. Uh, it actually feels less creepy to consumers because it makes you feel more credible. Like people see things in the real world, they, they, they think it's real. Um, the, the problem with TV is it's still generally bought like linear TV. You still have to buy like an area. You've got to buy all of New York city to get, you know, one neighborhood. Uh, it's very similar challenge to how out of home has been previously where, you know, buying the right billboard in, in the right place or having the right taxi ad show up only in front of the business you're trying to sell to, uh, is a new concept. So CTV is blown up for a reason. Um, I think the biggest challenge is consumer adoption of CTV. Linear TV, I, yeah, I'm not, not as bullish on because uh, it's still relatively expensive and it's much harder to target. And even as I've expanded my mind as a performance marketer in recovering performance marketer who's now thinking about things other than click testing on AdWords, um, I still can't bring myself to just buy TV commercials that are spray and pray for an entire geographic area and then hoping I catch the right people. Well, as a consumer, I hope for the day that we get more targeted TV ads, right? I mean, if we all know we're going to watch TV ads, I'd rather watch a TV ad tell me about some new thing that Tommy Bahama has and I can go buy some new thing or coupons or whatever than watching TV ads about Viagra or some dumb shit I don't care about, right? So I don't mind the targeting advertising if it's more targeted to me. That, that's been an interesting part of the privacy conversation is it's not that people don't like targeted ads. They, they actually do. Uh, in fact, when you do it well enough, it just feels like part of the content experience uh, as part of what inbound marketing was back in the day. I mean, those were ads. They were just blog articles that would teach you something and you download an ebook or whatever, right? It was, it, it, people don't dislike that. What they dislike is targeting that they, they feel, well, in, in reality is based on people abusing information about them that they have no control over. So right, you, sure. you, you would love to see that uh, a more targeted ad. You wouldn't love to see a, an ad that, uh, is like creepily right on point. It's exactly something you're super interested in. And you know that that means that somebody somewhere has a bunch of information about you that you did not give them permission to have. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, so where do you, you know, as we start to wrap up this, this episode, um, where do you see the, the future for things going at, at one screen? I mean, the future for us is, is relatively clear, right? We've got the, to an extent, it's like I get to do all of the things we did back in the day, but I have role models. Like it helps while we were inventing these things. Freemium was a new thing that was invented, et cetera. Uh, offline media is kind of like the internet in the late 90s or the early 2000s. But unlike Clay Christensen and Scott Brinker and the great thought leaders of platform strategy, I don't have to invent disruptive innovation. I can just implement things that I know work elsewhere, like auctions, right? Like we know they drive up prices over time and maximize, you know, uh, monetization. It doesn't exist in the uh, in the offline media space. Things just go unsold. So um, that's that's the the good side of this. The the bad side is uh, I've actually only time I've ever wished I had more competitors. If anybody wants to launch an out of home startup, please do so. Uh, it reduces the number of things we have to build. I, I will literally help you. Hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, and there's plenty of money in it. Uh, but that's that's the thing that we we have to do is like stay really focused uh, and you know do one total addressable market at a time, right? Like not not tackle events, not tackle brand marketers or, or people who are outside of kind of our core persona. It's so easy to get distracted by really really good ideas. Um, so that's, we're, we're going to focus on that, especially performance marketers. They're the ones who are dying, right? Everybody thought truck drivers were going to lose their jobs to AI. turns out Facebook ads managers lost it first because at this point do great Facebook ads, just tie into the Facebook ads API and let their AI figure out what, when and where to show your ads. Uh, and they're people like me and, and they're fun. They care about data. They want to do something new. They've been stuck on the internet and we literally bought the domain, save the marketers.com. Like how can we make the marketing an enjoyable profession again? Well, I love I love what you guys are doing, and um, some of our competitors, my old company, um, used to do billboards around Silicon Valley and stuff for their products. It, even though it wasn't it wasn't B two C, it was a B two B product that you know ninety nine percent of the people that drove by wouldn't know what it even was. But for that one percent, <laughs> it was a way to reach them. It's like it's like your point about Elon Musk, like. If you want this niche audience, like you can still even do it with billboards. So it's cool. I really want to get like a LED truck, which is a, an option in the marketplace and it has sound and just have, have the sales reps face on it and park it in front of the business you're trying to sell to and just be like, my name's Jim. I'm going to, I'm going to call you next Tuesday at 3 PM. If that doesn't work, here's a short URL to my calendar to book a different time. Uh, at the very least, you'll, you'll get the awareness, uh, if not an actual inbound conversion. So it's, again, this is fun. This is the most fun I've had doing marketing in a long time because it's not just running your 9,000th AV test on Google AdWords. Well, once again, this episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by our friends over at EquipBid Auctions. Join, sell, and earn. It's that easy with EquipBid Auctions. Become an affiliate and start to grow your independent business by visiting equip-bid.me backslash startup. Even easier, head to startuphustle.xyz and check out our partners page. You'll see EquipBid's founder, Andy, has everything set up for you to go make some money, go build your business within a business. Well, Sam, I really appreciate having you on the show today. Um, as we run out the show, do you have any kind of final advice for other entrepreneurs that are listening? Humility. Any words of wisdom? Um, humility, going, especially when you're going into new markets, right? Like the, I think the attitude of we're from the internet and we're here to help, or if you're going into 
fintech or or, or prop tech or, or some of these markets, like we're we're used to everything being interoperable uh, on the internet. We're used to, uh, you know, a, a very different mentality. So like, really listen to your customers. Don't think about just what you want to use and, and what you wish existed. Um, and then also like, don't be afraid of competitors. Like people, people may not realize that Salesforce and HubSpot are competitors. They still integrate with each other because at the end of the day, whether you use the HubSpot CRM or Salesforce, you're still more likely to be a successful user of the marketing tools if you're using a CRM. Uh, and I think that was one of the, the big takeaways that I took from, you know, from that role at HubSpot, I'm trying to impress on the market here is if your only strategy is to, you know, not cooperate with your competitors instead of focusing on creating customer value, you're going to lose eventually. It's just a question of time. All right. Well, that's, that's great advice. Again, um, this was Sam from uh, onescreen.ai. And thank you so much for being on the show today. And congrats again for being one of the, the tar- top startups from Boston. For those who are listening, you can check the show notes for a link to all the other uh, startups. And uh, maybe we should get a billboard just for you that says, you know, top startup in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> we might actually. Yeah. Once you all publish the episode, we, we'll, we'll get something and put, put, put it up uh, on a digital billboard in Boston. Drive, drive some yeah. downloads. And you can, you can take a selfie with it. I absolutely will. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me and thanks again for the honor. All right. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>